0: Hello, this is Daniel Mounter from the podcast Englishman in Montreal. Last episode I referred somewhat briefly to various aspects of my modelling career, if you like. Um, I touched briefly on some topics which I wanted to cover in some more detail, and we quickly ran out of uh, time on that segment. So on this uh, episode I want to go into a little more detail, firstly about um, my late friend Graham George, and the activities we enjoyed, how my creativity blossomed during that friendship, and also to go into some more detail about how emigrating to Canada interrupted somewhat my enjoyment of modelling. And in the interim, how that's resumed, if it has at all. This episode's being uh, recorded on a somewhat dingy summer morning, where it's extremely overcast and the cooler temperatures are giving me a strong déjà vu to my times in England especially as the weather pattern here seems to be assuming similar to what I'm used to. That links on with what I'm going to say later, as I want to refer to how many aspects of my previous life, if you like, have been carried over on my new life in Canada. So. I referred mainly to my railway modelling as that was the bulk of my modelling projects especially back in the UK um, moving up to a large-scale garden railway gave me the opportunity to use a lot more full-scale materials in other words using paint clay and various other products like wood still remains realistic when you're working in a scale of 1 to 24th, which means that figurines and people are roughly as long as an average finger. Certain everyday products convert very well into beautiful miniature products. Um, this was where the inspiration from my friend Graham George came in. He particularly uh, had a knack for turning junk and even rubbish into amazing detailed models. Um, our introduction to Garden Railways um, basically hinged on a bug that I'd already been bitten by many years previously. I read in the Railway Modeler magazine a very infectious article which tutored the, uh, the advantages of a large-scale garden railway and I believe the article referred to a Lego train which is definitely not a, a scale-accurate model of anything but it tutored the advantages of how practical, tough and suitable for the whole family a garden railway was there were many aspects that really made it attractive not as a niche hobby but as a uh, one that all the family could enjoy especially in England where the climate favours having a permanent outdoor railway. Um, It also went into depth how easy it is to use raw materials and found materials to build realistic structures. Um, there were many there were many aspects of garden railways that attracted me. And with Graham, we went into quite a depth. He bought up especially lots of toy products that were of a similar scale, not necessarily accurate. And by adding finishing touches like brass nameplates, paint jobs, and considerable skill with using scratch building materials. He developed this incredible system. He even developed um, fiberglass dry stone walls, which he developed the whole molding process for, and we were attempting to mark it not long before he passed away. We would visit all the exhibitions, model railway exhibitions, and we got very into depth with this entire project. I was familiar with a lot of woodworking and engineering tools and materials, and I built several wagons from scratch, mostly using a router. I would buy up MDF and laminate, melamine, in bulk and convert this into model carriages using templates. It predated uh, 3D printing considerably. I guess now, if given the chance to repeat uh, the experience, 3D printing would be making up the majority of my products. But I had to do it the hard way, developing these things from scratch and also on a fairly limited budget. Although I spent a fortune on things that couldn't be produced at home, like the railway rolling stock. But with Graham, we developed uh, incredible dioramas um, using every ounce of our creative abilities to turn cheap junk from charity shops into these beautiful animated, almost living dioramas. As we were both more or less within the Exclusive Brethren system at the time, it was frowned on considerably to indulge in this hobby to this extent. But we did take advantage of a new emerging phenomenon with the Exclusive Brethren, which was having fundraising days for their newly emerging independent schools. And on these fundraising days, we decided to start various projects, one of which was a photo booth, but another one was a model layout, which we built that could be transported and set up in almost any location. Um, Basically, we worked on all kinds of buildings and uh, animated dioramas. I built a butcher shop and using a figure of the hunchback of Notre Dame from a McDonald's Happy Meal, I believe. I built a butcher with a working cleaver arm powered by a mechanism stolen out of another toy, all picked up from charity shops. These kind of things were a big success. Obviously, we never broke even with the cost. There was considerable cost involved in producing these dioramas, not to mention we never recruited the cost of our rolling stock and locomotives nor the electronics but the the fascination proved to me that that type of model making was not selfish Um, in fact in my house in Stamford, i would frequently invite families over and the children would love to help on the garden railway they could do tasks like uh, ballasting the tracks and outdoor construction projects without any fear that they would damage a fine scale model which wasn't possible in any smaller scale so the for me the the legacy that Graham left with me after he passed on was that almost every human has this huge untapped vein of creativity in them and it takes sometimes an external motivation or an external stimulus to really activate that. In my case, it went almost to the point of obsession where I was searching every single charity shop within a radius of 20 miles. And I would pay frequent visits and often get some very funny looks from the charity shop owners going through their buckets of figurines, but once they realized what I was looking for, they would actually put things aside for me. So I accumulated quite a lot more materials than I would ever need, though I wasn't to know it at the time. So we come to another period in in my life when this was majorly disrupted. Um, I had built a double track garden railway in my house in Stamford, in the garden. It was well-equipped, but it was not furnished with any permanent structures, except for the track bed itself. Um, then, when immigration entered the picture, I had to make some very hard choices. I had to choose to trade in all my garden railway stuff to make enough money to emigrate and I also had to dispose of the railway really because it was affecting negatively the resale value of the house which I had to sell up and I was luckily able to sell a lot of my new stock back to the store from which I bought it but there were more Difficult uh, scenarios That happened later when I was almost ready to move out and that involved scrapping literally all of the scratch built buildings, which I'd made earlier and I recall one particularly painful trip to the local dump when my minivan was completely full With model buildings into which I'd piled hours of energy and time and creativity. One thing I feel extremely grateful for is that I actually took a picture record of these. And when I have times of low motivation, I can look at these and think, well, you still have that creative spark inside you. That is never extinguished while you're alive. So it was quite a traumatic experience in a sense, sacrificing all these models, but it would have been wildly impractical to suppose I could emigrate with all of those as I got all of my possessions into only seven suitcases. I brought no tools or modeling equipment with me either which was in retrospect not a very sensible move I could quite easily have packed my more expensive modeling tools into a small suitcase and either had it shipped or brought it with me, Um, but emigrating was seen as a time for me to completely turn over a new leaf and to rid myself of a lot of junk in my life. And it taught an important lesson that things are not as important as people. You can always purchase more things, you can always things back if they can be bought with money but on showing the pictures of the projects I made I had a lot of people tell me oh you should have kept these they're uh, they're somewhat a legacy of a better time for you and they could serve for inspiration to you but my fear was that people especially in Canada where the emphasis is less on Creative hobbies and more on physical activities or sports. My fear was that I would be um, I would be laughed at as old-fashioned or even worse, uh, nerdy for pursuing these things. So on emigrating, I didn't expect to ever have this creative spark of modelling reawoken. In my heart or in my life. So it was somewhat a surprise to me to discover that there was a thriving model community here and that they held regular exhibitions um, with model trains. And although it has a certain North American flavor, I didn't realize for many years living here that there were in fact uh, modeling societies who modeled British trains, British railways. I was excluded from joining them by simple lack of money, lack of funding. And also the days on which they met was not possible to to attend for me as I was working on all of those days. But it did reignite somewhat this love of modelling things from scratch, which has only been dormant with me. It's never been extinguished. And that was further fueled when in one of my jobs I discovered in the recycling a whole bunch of very uh, worn but uh, still functional HO gauge trains. There was just a small amount of track, a locomotive and a couple of small trucks, but it gave me a very, very small wedge if you like, a tiny slice of um, my past and interested me, It, it kind of added a small amount of fuel to the flame that interested me to know that these things existed in Canada, and it was even a possibility, especially for the longer winters when getting outside is not such an attractive option. This was furthered when I took a trip to BC. In BC, I was amazed and happy to discover that there was a garden railway specialist in a garden centre. And although the requirements for a garden railway in Canada are very different, it gave me hope that one day in my life here, I might be able to reignite completely that passion for railway modelling, especially at a large scale or in the garden. And it got me thinking to how that could be something I could develop eventually, should the opportunity arise. I want to move on from those experiences, especially with railway modelling, and just visit briefly the psychology and the popular perception of modelling. Back in the UK, especially in former years, when I was growing up and in high school, The perception was that uh, modeling, especially railway modeling, was very much an old man thing. It was very much um, seen as an anorak pursuit. In other words, it was something that lonely old men did to make up a deficit of human interaction. They liked to bury themselves in their garden sheds and spend all their, their money, pension money or savings, on Model trains, Um, there was a big mockery at my high school when people discovered I was into model trains particularly, and it was not seen as a cool thing. In popular psychology, I think uh, model railways are seen as an attempt by somebody who has little control over their lives to impose some form of control, to have these little microcosms that they have the ultimate say over the hand of God if you like and I could see why that would be a valid consideration it never for me was a problem I liked creating these miniature worlds and I like to create this blend of realistic and fantasy which over the years has become more acceptable in mainstream. Um, Now there is a huge trend on social media for uh, crafting and for building miniatures of everything. So it's kind of reawoken this this love of making miniature things and made it more culturally acceptable. Which is what uh, I find is kind of disappointing in a sense that Things that I was once mocked for are now suddenly cool and I never managed to work out if this was because of myself getting older and no longer giving a damn about what people think or if I was ahead of my time and something that was once the preserve of old men is now seen as something that's trendy and cool and even desirable. For example, we have Sir Rod Stewart and his model railway is seen as a very cool thing now, especially as it's somebody who's already widely looked up to among young and old. Uh, There is Sheldon Cooper of the Big Bang Theory as well, whose obsession with trains is seen as a positive thing, even if it's a quirk of his. My personal take on the psychology of models, especially model railways, is that it's a safe way to test out your own environment, to test out your exterior environment, and it's an important part of the creative process to turn raw materials, maybe even junk and rubbish into a 3D reality. It's akin to sculpture, in a sense. You're turning flat, two-dimensional, and largely worthless items into beautiful representations of the real world. And especially in architecture, this uh, this is quite something. You're turning a, a shapeless piece of wood or plastic ceramic into something of beauty that can give back. So I wanted to touch on those brief pointers as part of a second podcast. In the next episode I'm going to go a lot more detail regarding what could be called an obsession with trains and railways. And I want to look into the origins of this uh, said possession. so thank you for bearing with me while I resume the podcast in a rather messy fashion as always please keep the feedback coming I appreciate it and I attempt to incorporate some of it at least into every single episode so this has been Daniel Mounter with an Englishman in Montreal thank you